Ready? Go. Hey everyone, it's Heather Whaley. This is Frank Whaley. And it is Monday, uh, July 13th. This is episode 47. Mm. Hmm. Three more. Mm-hmm. Since it's Monday, you know what time it is. It's time to tell another obscure actor story. Awesome. Well, it's, this isn't really an obscure actor. This is just an actor who everybody knows, but you probably don't know much about. It's supposed to be obscure. Well, it's supposed to be someone who is an actor that you've seen that you don't know the story of their life at all. Sounds like you're making up the rules as you go along. Well, you know what, Frank? The world don't move to the beat of just one drum. What might be right for you might not be right for some. Man is born. He's a man of means. Then along comes two. They got nothing but the genes. It takes different strokes to move the world. Yes, it does. It takes different strokes to move the world. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Conrad Bain. He was on different strokes. Yeah. Yeah, he, was he was on Different Strokes. He was the father on Different Strokes. He was Mr. D, Mr. Drummond. Yeah. Uh, but he wasn't just... Papers rattling. <laughs> he wasn't just Mr. Mr. Drummond. No, he was, a, he was a Broadway actor. He was a Broadway actor. Yeah. Um, Conrad Bain was born in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada on February 4th, 1923, and he had a twin brother named Bonar. Bonar Bain. Mm. <laughs> Boner Bain. Boner Bain. I've had a Boner Bain for days. <laughs> Uh, their dad was a wholesaler, some, some kind of wholesaling. He was in the wholesale business. Mm-hmm. Um, Conrad went to the Banff School of Fine Arts. Then he served in the Canadian Army during World War II. Wow. Before finding his way to New York to study at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And in his class, which was the graduating class of 1948, was also Charles Durning and Don Rickles. He was, in, he was at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts with Don Rickles? Yeah. Surprised that Don Rickles was 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 studied at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. I know. I wonder if he was like a serious actor first at first. Well, he was in a lot of movies, Don Rickles, but this is not about Don Rickles. No, this is about Conrad Bain. So after he graduated, he spent some time performing with the Stratford Festival in Canada, and then on May eighth, nineteen fifty six, he opened in the Off Broadway revival of The Iceman Cometh at Circle in the Square in the role of Larry Slade. Also in this production were Jason Robards and Jose Quintero. Ah, Jose Quintero. Jose Quintero also produced and directed this production and, of The Iceman Cometh. And he was in it? Yeah. Wow. I've heard of The Robars is, very, is a very famous production. Is it, is, this is on Broadway? Yeah. No, uh, this is off-Broadway. Ah. Oh. This is in 1956. Uh-huh. Later that year, on December 1st, Conrad opened on Broadway. I remember once being dragged to see, out of just pure obligation, going to see... The Iceman Cometh. With Kevin Spacey? With Kevin Spacey. And it was 11 hours long. Can't even imagine. It just went on and on and on and on. And I went with a friend of mine who was also an actor. And he, the minute the, the, the lights went down, he fell asleep. And, when, and, when the, and it was three acts. And then when the first, first intermission came, he was wide awake, said, that was great. I said, you, you were sleeping through the whole thing. Same thing. Second act, lights went down, he fell asleep. Oh, my God. And then the third act, same thing. After the, after the show, he was, like, all over Kevin Spacey, like, about how great he was, about how, this moment, that moment. And I just, all I could think of was, man, you slept through that whole damn thing. And I stayed awake through the whole damn thing. I bet he did a terrible accent, Kevin Spacey. Was it Jesus. that same accent he did as, what's his name, Underwood? I, you know, Kevin Spacey is one of those guys who I never 
you know, I'm not, not, this is not the pile on Kevin Spacey because I know that, you know, he's canceled as canceled can be canceled. But I never found Kevin Spacey's acting to be uh, honest, real, whatever you want to call it, good. He was so bad in House of Cards. He was just plain bad. Every line was the same. People, Every line was exactly pe- the same. People just love Love them some Kevin. Well, they did. They just loved them some Kevin Spacey. Last time I watched the Tonys, he was he he hosted the Tonys, Kevin Spacey, and he just was. It was just absurd. So smug. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so later that year on December first, Conrad opened on Broadway. Broadway in a production of Candide. That old hag is no use in this gym joint. Not a sou have I made on her yet. And the one thing that pays in this clip joint is my fraudulent game of roulette, is my game of roulette. Mm -hmm. At the Music Box Theater, he played three roles, the King of Hesse, Very, Very Old Inquisitor, and Captain. Leonard Bernstein was the composer, and the libretto was by Lillian Hellman. Lillian Hellman uh, had collaborators on that, like James Agee, Dorothy Parker, and Richard Wilbur. Lillian Hellman and Dorothy Parker were friends. Lillian Hellman was younger than Dorothy Parker, and she sort of took care of her in her old age. And a lot of people thought that Lillian Hellman was just hanging around, hoping that Dorothy Parker would leave her the rights to all of her material because Dorothy Parker didn't have any children. When she actually died in 1967, she left the rights to all of her work to Martin Luther King Jr. She was always interested in civil rights. And then when he died, they were transferred to the NAACP. So you would think with this all-star team, right, that Candide would have been a smash hit. Yeah. Right. No, it was a big flop. Oh, no. It ran only 73 performances and closed on February 7th, 1957. But, but what it makes me think about is if you look at Broadway now, like what's on Broadway for the most part? Well, nothing um, now. Right, not now. Because but now Broadway's, it's Disney stuff. Broadway's closed, yeah. So now, but now, like for the most part, this is a generalization, Broadway is now Clueless, the musical. It's either a very successful film, Mean Girls, Beetlejuice, or it's some kind of Disney thing. You know, you think about Candide or the kind of stuff that our friend Conrad, Conrad Bain, you know, Conrad Bain wasn't doing Mean Girls, a musical on Broadway. Hell well, no. it's so expensive that if something's going to close after a handful of performances, it's just too much money to put into it. Yeah. He next appeared on Broadway in November of 1960 in Advise and Consent, starring Ed Begley, Ed Begley Jr.'s dad. Ah. That ran for 212 performances. I'd say that's a solid run. This was in the days when people, like, that was something that people did. They went to, there, was so much, there was so much to see because there wasn't a lot of other uh, outlets in those days. Right. I mean, it was television, of course, but... Movies, there were movies. It was and... movies and television, but y'all, but y'all went to see a lot of Broadway. People had a lot more attention span, a lot more intellect, I Yeah, well, sort of, because then in 1963, Conrad Bain was in another flop called... Hotspot, starring Judy Holliday. Hotspot was about a young woman in the Peace Corps serving in a country called Dumb. That's a capital D apostrophe, capital H-U-M. The citizens of that country were called the dumb people. I kind of like it. No, I think it's probably terribly racist. Oh, 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 yeah. No, yeah. The New York Times said of Holiday's performance as that's sal- awful. I, <laughs> I wasn't thinking it was. Yeah. It was. You, I wasn't thinking it was like. A, like, where is this country located? I I couldn't really tell. Oh. The New York Times said of Holiday's performance as Sally Hopwinder, a Peace Corps girl with a warm heart and a knack for getting herself into trouble. Miss Holiday is 
in the right hot spot. Mm. But you know it's in trouble when it requires her to do a routine in which she pretends to be three members of a State Department reassignment committee. What emerges is an ordinary little vaudeville turn. Miss Holliday turns another dialect bit to shrewd comedic purpose, pretending to be the houseboy of the American official she loves. She takes a telephone call from his fiance and befuddles her in squeaky pigeon English. I love it. I, w- I, I think, I think it would have been show. horribly racist. Yeah, it probably would have been horribly racist. Really yeah. offensive to it, a lot it, of people. But if it, was set like a, if it was like set in a Nordic region... Oh, so people were talking like a Swedish accent? Yeah. Hello, yeah. this is Sally Helpawinder. Right. That might be fine. I don't mean it, Sally Helpawinder. This is the house, the house, the, what are they called? The houseboy? Yeah, I'm sure it was racist and awful. And This is the, ha- the house I keep it for the man that I love. Is that a Swedish accent? I have I no know. idea what that is. Oh, so at, around this same time, Conrad Bain was one of the principal organizers of the Actors Federal Credit Union. Mm. Did you know that? I, I no. He recalled that the effort grew out of the fact that, at least in the world of financial services, actors and other performances got no respect. Still true. Yeah. And importantly, no access to credit. I get no no respect from any of my performances. Yeah, you and Rodney Dangerfield. No respect. Um, It was at a meeting of of Actors' Equity where a member stood up and asked why we didn't do something about actors not being able to get any credit, much less a mortgage or anything like that. Most actors can't get a mortgage because they don't make any money. Right. But it's still the case. Like if you nowadays after the financial crash, if you don't have proof of steady income, you're not going to get a mortgage. That's true. Yeah. And a lot of people think when they think about actors, they think they're high flutin sitting by the pool, smoking a cigar. But most actors have to you know, make a living. And if they're working at all, live paycheck to paycheck and work to sustain their health insurance, yada, yada, yada. Yada, yada, yada. Well, Conrad Bain had some good advice for those people. He said... Remember this, no share payment is too small. The main objective should be to establish a consistent habit of saving. In return, you can have the security of knowing that there's a place to turn when you need a loan, a place where you will be met with dignity and respect rather than suspicion and prejudice. That's really good advice. Somebody said if to only be an actor, if you can't imagine yourself doing anything else. Right. And I would say even in that case, don't be an actor. I would say only be an actor if you find immediate success. I would say only be an actor if you're, if you're you young have... and if you're young and beautiful or at all like interesting to look at. Right. And then, well, Conrad Bain wouldn't get anywhere these days. Oh, forget it. Yeah, he was not, not. I mean, with all due respect to Conrad Bain, he was not. He was no good looking guy. Well, now we're moving on to some other trouble. Uh oh. His next Broadway performance was Jack Gelber's play "The Cuban Thing" with Raul Julia and Rip Torn. Mm-hmm. Clive Barnes wrote in the New York Times on September 25th, 1968, there was more excitement outside Henry Miller's theater last night than inside when Jack Gelber's play The Cuban Thing opened to the vociferous displeasure of anti-Castro demonstrators. It was a tribute to American freedom that a pro-Castro play should be produced in New York. Unfortunately, Mr. Gelber's work proved less of a tribute to the American theater. And that closed after one performance. Can you imagine? I wish I had footage of that. You know, there's a big history of people protesting inside theaters. Yeah. If you go back to, you know, Covent Garden in, in London, there would, there would be all-out brawls between audience members or people who didn't like the performances. Mm-hmm. People would walk across the stage and slap another audience member. Yeah. They would tear down the curtains. The, there was a whole riot, the Astor Place riots, two feuding actors. And the fans of one of the actors didn't like the posh British actor. They were performing the same play in different theaters in New York, and they all 
bought up all the tickets, sort of like what people are doing to Trump. That's, buying, why, want, that's why he wants to end TikTok. <laughs> buying all the buying up all the tickets, and then they went to watch this like fancy pants British guy when he came. I think it was Macbeth, and when he made his entrance, they were all excited, and he thought, "Oh wow, my fans are here. They must they must love me." And they all just whipped out rotten vegetables and started hurling them at him. I was in a play once where I had to sit at the edge of the stage until long, and the director insisted on bringing the house lights up in the in the audience. Oh, that's so awkward. And it was a, sm- a smallish house. And so when I was sitting on the edge of stage, my legs were sort of touching, almost touching the, the legs of the people in the front row. It was a subscription audience of older audience members. And the monologue that I was to, to deliver at the edge of the stage was mostly about masturbation, how I liked to masturbate, the character I was playing liked to masturbate. That was a really good play. That was Marie and Bruce by Wallace Shawn. It was you and Marissa Tomei. Wasn't going to mention any names, ah. but uh, <laughs> every night... There was some some vociferous reaction from the audience, either people walking out, wow, or you know, as an actor, you never want to you never want to see the people in the audience while you're on stage. You never want to see their reactions. That's why they bring no. the house lights down. Yeah, and a, a, as an audience member, I don't want the house lights up either. Right, call it a bold move by the director, but he he wanted them up and. You know, pe- people were, you know, you see people who had been sleeping for some time. But one night I remember there was an older gentleman, a Conrad Bain type, and sitting with his wife. And I started rattling on about masturbation. And he says something to the effect of, watch the way you talk around my wife. No way. Yeah. So what do you do as a... As a it's as not a perf- you talking. As a performer, what do you do in that situation? And I said something like, it won't go on much longer, so just bear with me. She can plug her ears. I won't mind or something like that. You was know, there laughter from other people in the audience? But, nervous laughter. Oh I mean, goodness. but it was like it was like that every night. It was kind of an adventure every night, but not not an exciting adventure for me. It was a dreaded adventure where people would get up and walk out, and I'd, you know, after a while, I would you're not supposed to, but I would say, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait for you to leave, and then I'll continue. Anyway, this is not about me. It's about Conrad. Well, Bain. I had a play at the Stanford Center for the Arts. Mm-hmm. There was like a talk back with the audience after one of the performances, and an old man told me that I had to take all the curse words out of my script. Yes, I remember that. Ridiculous. I was so mad at him. I was like, you don't go into a museum, and if you don't like the painting, tell them to paint something else over it. Right. Put clothes on that nude. He probably voted for Trump. I'm sure he was probably dead. He's, he was very old, and that was a while ago. Uh, in 1971... Conrad Bain was in Ibsen's An Enemy of the People at the Vivian Beaumont Theater with Tandy Cronin, who is the granddaughter of your old friends, Hume and Jessica. Yes, I'm, I know Tandy. I met Tandy. Oh, yeah? Yep. And then he was in this play called Twigs, which was a collection of one act starring Seda Thompson, mm-hmm. written by George Firth. Seda Thompson was um, famous in the 70s. She was on a show called Family. Ah, um, with um, James Broderick, who is Ma- Matthew Broderick's father, and Christy McNichol. Man, this is a deep dive into some... Yeah. Uh, yeah, th- but, but I remember Family, because Family was, for me anyway at the time, I don't know how it would hold up now, kind of a provocative program that dealt with all kinds of issues regarding, you know, revolving this family. Seda Thompson was a really wonderful actress. The incidental music of that play, Twigs, was by Stephen Sondheim. Huh. And then he was in Uncle Vanya with George C. Scott, Julie Christie, and Lillian Gish. What, direct- a, what a great career. Lillian directed, Gish. Uh, wow. Lillian Gish, directed by Mike Nichols at Circle in the Square. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uncle Vanya. You know, it seems like... I wow, bet, I bet with, even with that cast, even with George C. Scott, who I bet was a pompous ass. I bet he I bet he paused for applause when he came on stage. Oh, George I saw C. Christopher Scott. Plummer do that. He yeah. paused for applause in his yeah. entrance. Uh, I'm going to start doing that when I come in the door. 
When but I, I come in, when I come home, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm out for any length of time, I'm going to come in. When I come in this house, I'm going to pause for applause. Okay. George C. Scott, I remember him when I was a kid on Johnny Carson. He would be smoking and t- telling long-winded stories all about himself. His son. Sort of like me. Campbell Scott went to my high school. He was older yep. than me, though. During all this time, he also appeared on a television show called Dark Shadows. This is something that Jason Blum should be doing. Reviving Dark Shadows. It was a spooky soap opera. I remember when I was a kid. It was about the, vampires. Yeah, it depicted the lives, loves, trials, and tribulations of the wealthy Collins family of Collinsport, Maine. He was in that he ended up being killed in the second season by well, werewolves. Well, these days, True Blood sort of took, right. took, the, took the place of Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows was True Blood without, without the, the True, sexy... What, what sex. show? True Blood. <laughs> What'd I say? True Blood. True Blood. In 1971, Conrad Bain was in Woody Allen's film, Bananas. Of course. We're not supposed to, you know, Woody Allen We're going to just... Pa- we're just going to... Yeah. Brush over that, but he was a, he worked with Woody Allen also. Bananas was never my f- anywhere near my favorite Woody Allen movie. My favorite being Broadway Danny Rose, which I think you know it, it's is. Let's not talk about Woody. Cancelled as Woody Allen is. Yeah. Broadway Danny Rose is you know pretty great movie. And then he landed the role of Dr. Arthur Harmon and B. Arthur's Maud. Compromising, enterprising, anything but tranquilizing. Yes. Now Maud was a spinoff of All in the Family. Did you know that? Of course. Maud was. Edith Bunker's cousin. Naturally. Okay. I remember I remember the episode where Maud appeared. Came, well, came to visit. Maud was filmed in California and was on CBS until 1978. Mm-hmm. Conrad and Monica moved out to California. Maud's husband on that show was played by a fellow named Bill Macy, which is no relation in any way, shape, or form to William H. Macy. That's probably why he had to go by William H. Macy. Ding, 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 But ding, all his ding. friends call him Bill. That's right. You it, know what else was a spinoff, incidentally, of, of Maud? And in a roundabout way, it was Good Times. Yeah, Florida was the That's character right. of Florida. Mr. Roll, yes. And also, The Jeffersons was a spinoff of All in the Family. That's right. George Jefferson yeah. came to visit uh, Archie. But, um, and, and as did his wife, uh, Louise Wheezy, played by Isabel Sanford. I have the great, great honor of working with both Esther Roll and John Amos, who played husband and wife wow. on Good Times. Mr. Rowe and I worked in a Hallmark Hall of Fame film, which I believe we've mentioned on this prod- podcast before, called The Dance with the White Dog, which was with... Hume Cronin and Hume Jessica Tandy. It all comes back full circle. It's like six That's degrees. Right. John Amos and I did an episode of The New Outer Limits together. Do you well, know that Esther Rowe was 20 years older than John Amos? And they played husband and no wife on Good Times. Yeah. When I went into labor with... Our first child, we still didn't have a name picked out for if this baby was going to be a girl. We didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, and we were watching Good Times. I didn't ever watch it. I think maybe I wasn't living in the country when it was on regular TV. Right. So I was trying to think of a name, and I said, well, what's her name? Thinking we would name the baby girl after her, and then you said Florida. And obviously, I'm not going to name my child Florida because the state of Florida is a godforsaken cesspool. Could have named her Esther. Could have named her Esther. I would have done that. Then in 1978, the series Different Strokes was created specifically for Conrad Bain and Gary Coleman, who had caught producers' attentions after appearing in a number of commercials. Yeah. I've been in a number of commercials. I've never caught anybody's attention. Yeah, no. That's Terry Garr also started that way. I think it was Steven Spielberg saw her in like a Chalk Full of Nuts commercial. Different Strokes starred Gary Coleman and Todd Bridges as Arnold and Willis Jackson, two African-American boys from Harlem who go to live with Mr. Drummond up in his Park Avenue (laughs) apartment with his daughter Kimberly, played by Dana Plato. Charlotte Ray played the housekeeper on that, and then she went on to Facts of Life. Yeah. 
we were talking about how TV shows used to deal with a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. Different strokes became known for their very special episodes in which serious issues such as racism, illegal drug use, alcoholism, hitchhiking, kidnapping, and child sexual abuse were dramatically explored. I remember also one time Kimberly was washing her hair in like a metal bowl or something and it turned green because of acid rain. The so, bowl turned green or her hair turned green? Her hair. I'm, I'm, I'm confused, but I'm sure it was a very special episode. Yeah, I don't really remember. I was probably nine. Todd Bridges and Dana Plato both went through some some serious yeah, changes. They, Gary uh, Coleman ran for governor of California. Remember that? Yeah. Then it was that for, was that crazy election where there was like yeah. all these people, like there was a porn star running and there was, there yeah, was like there was 50 some, people running who's, for Who's the woman governor. who was on all the billboards? Angeli. Yeah. Conrad Bain stayed in touch with Todd Bridges. For a very long time. Yeah. I needed a Conrad Bain in my life. Yeah. We all could use a Conrad Bain. Different Strokes ran until 1986 when it was canceled for poor ratings. Mm. People got tired of it. Yes. And then he just disappears, falls off the complete radar. At least he fell off the Wikipedia page. No idea what he did between 1986 and 1996. He retired. Well, then he played, again, his role of Philip Drummond, along with Gary Coleman, on the series finale of, do you say finale or finale? I say finale. Finale. But not, not, but I have to think about it before I say it. Because I know finale sounds like sounds terrible. upstate New York. Yeah. So I um, say finale. So he played. Just he, like when I say car. When I say, what I want to do is say car. Oh, But really? I say car. Well, I'm glad you make that effort. And I say, I say album instead of album. Yelbum. Dwayne Elm. You Dwayne, do say it, the word insurance weird. Insurance. You say insurance. That's because. Like the seashore. Because insurance. if I don't think about it, I say insurance. 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 Conrad Bain and Gary Coleman reprised okay. their roles on the series finale of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel-Air. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Um, he was married to Monica until her death in 2009. They had three kids, Mark, Kent, and Jennifer. And then he disappeared again until he had a stroke in 2013. Kent. Conrad Bain. I don't hear Bain. that name a lot. Kent. Kent Bain. Kent Bain, I think, is the one who restores old cars. One of them restores old cars. Wow. Monica was uh, an artist, and I think Jennifer is also an artist, but there's a, a woman named Jennifer Bain who's an artist in New Mexico who is not the Jennifer Bain that is related to Conrad Bain. Because that Jennifer Bain, I read, I mean, I did some research, and I read this whole interview with her where she talked about how her parents were, like, bohemian, they moved to New York, and they never had any money. No, but I thought because Conrad Bain's daughter Jennifer, I think, is an artist, and she's an artist, and they have the same name. But I don't think that Conrad Bain and Monica were bohemians who were bumming around with no money. He was he was all about saving your money. Conrad Being Bain? Financially responsible, yeah. His career involved a lot of really um, intense theater work. And then he, uh, he broke into the television space, as they say. And uh, he probably, I don't know what they what they made in those days in terms of residuals or probably so forth. Probably not much. Sure. Probably not a heck of a lot. So That's the story of Conrad Bain. Interesting. Thanks for listening, everyone. Save your money. Even if your paycheck's super small right now, save a little part of it. Put it in a piggy bank and name that pig Conrad. Good advice. Bye. Bye.